You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Nick Bayer, founder of Saxby's, a Philadelphia-based national coffee and education company. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Laura. It's great to be with you. Now, I gave a, a quick intro there, but tell us a little bit more about you and about Saxby's. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? And I, frankly, was really, really surprised when you and I talked originally, and I learned that Saxby's is not just the coffee company that I had originally thought that it was. Not that there's any just, but nevertheless, tell me more about all of what Saxby's is doing. Yeah, it's the great evolution, and I'm excited to talk to you more about it as well. But you know, Saxby's is a certified B Corp. We're Philadelphia-based, as you mentioned, but we are really evolving now as a business where we are expanding our, our experiential learning platform, which we're a pioneer of. These are partnerships with leading institutions of higher education nationally in which young people design and exclusively operate their own on-campus activities. They have full p authority, full management of the team, marketing responsibilities, and overseeing a global supply chain. And the idea of that is not necessarily to teach the next generation of leaders to be coffee entrepreneurs or food and beverage entrepreneurs, but it's to learn the critical skills that we need in the economy moving forward. We call them the power skills, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, cultural agility, so that you take those skills, combine it with the education you're getting in the classroom, and we'll have young people that are prepared to be difference-making leaders, regardless and agnostic of industry that they want to go into. So to clarify for anybody who may not have put two and two together, if you've been in a Saxby's when, when was Saxby's originally founded? 2005. Yeah, so it's it's been, I mean, that's amazing. Do the math here. What is we talking about? 17 years now, give or take, yes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 17 years, So that's which is amazing. So it, what started out as another coffee chain a la whatever bucks you like to you know, sit in and have your morning stuff, we've gone way beyond just being a coffee chain. And it's now strictly at universities. Is that correct? Yes. And where the... The students are running it and the students are getting, it's a educational partnership with the universities where students are making the coffee, drinking the coffee and all the other stuff that's in the store, of course, but also learning the business skills to boot. And that's really the whole business model that's going on now. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, these are exclusively student operated. And so when you go into the average tax on a college campus, it's operating 15 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, yearly. And it's overseen entirely by students. So from opening the cafe, counting the register to presenting the profit and loss statement, managing people, the entirety of the operation, every single one of these that we have are run by students. And it's done so impactfully that our university partners are applying academic credit to these experiences. So they're not just getting paid and getting the resume building and sort of the life experience. They're actually getting academic credit while doing it as well. I think that's amazing. That's just such a great model of real apprenticeship and learning on the job in, in a way that so beautifully connects work and study at the same time in a way that most classes and educational experiences overall don't manage to do. What's your favorite part of your job and why? 
I mean, working with and developing people for sure. As I like to say, it's both the most rewarding and the most challenging. You know, human beings, we have good days and we have bad days. You have good minutes and we have bad minutes. And so it is always challenging to work with other human beings, but it is by far the most rewarding, particularly what we do, you know, is we have young people who work in our and lead our cafes who have, you know, they're the fourth generation in their family to go to college and people have master's degrees and PhDs. And like, they've got such a great path of success laid in front of them. And that this is just a differentiating notch for them to go and be great at and pursue the things that they love to do. And then we also have a ton of people, a little bit more similar to my background, who are first-generation college students. No one in their family has ever had an education before. And this is game-changing and door-opening for them. But guess what? Both of those, whether you come from one extreme or the other, they struggle tremendously with this level of responsibility. And so I and the leadership team at Saxby's get a tremendous opportunity to work with these young leaders on their highs and on their lows, and to watch them come out the other side of this, better human beings and better leaders. In my opinion, Laura, there's literally nothing better to do as a leader than to be able to develop people through those highs and lows. So then the majority of your employees in the cafes, at least, are on average 18 to 22 years old? Yep. Yeah. Average age in our entire company is about 22 years old. So when you look at all about 1,000 people in the company, the average age is about 22. In the cafes, it's about 19.5. So these are young people running, in many instances, million-dollar business units before they're you know, 22 years old. It's a tremendous amount of responsibility. And, and we don't hide from that. You know, they, This isn't a lot of really cute language that they're running it, but they're not really running it. There's like adults that are actually running it. There's not. Like We have a very deep swimming pool at Saks because there's no shallow end. We throw people in the swimming pool and we surround them with lifeguards. But we believe that when you start to struggle and you're swimming, you're starting to take on some water, our lifeguards will pick you up We'll show you the film. We'll show you how to do it a little bit better. And then we let you go figure it out on your own. And then throw them back in head first. We throw them right back in, you know, and, and once they start to learn how to swim, that satisfaction and the confidence that comes from that is absolutely game changing for them because it's not just about them having a great semester with us or a great one, two, four years with us. How much better are they going to be at 23, 30, 35 than I was? who didn't have those kinds of developmental experiences. And so like we're in the human development business. Mm. We just happen to do it through experiential learning college cafes. I love that. We're in the human development business and we do it through coffee. What a beautiful medium to swim in. That's great. So now what's one of the biggest issues of the day and how do you have to adjust your approach when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups about it? The reality is, is our experiential learning platform, we're a first mover. We've created something that the world needs. And I'm not sure the world needs more coffee companies, but it needs more human development businesses, more businesses that are going to empower young people and and develop the skills they need. And I want to, I know you haven't finished telling the story, but I want to make sure that everybody out there is, is tracking that pre COVID, you were more the standard cafe chain of sorts that who also happened to have a lot of college campus locations, but it was not exclusively a college campus based entity. Exactly. It was a small, it was a small part of what we did. You know, it was like significantly less than 50% of our revenue was generated on college campuses going into COVID. Okay. But yeah, when we started to think critically about our business, like how are we going to survive this? And then ultimately, how are we going to thrive hopefully on the other side? It was going to be our experiential learning platform. Like our mission statement is not make the world's best coffee. It's to make life better. Mm. So how do we leverage 
the smart people, the momentum, the infrastructure that we have in our business to make life better. Operating a Saxby's in a 50-story high-rise building, you know, I think it makes some people happier. I don't know that it's making life better, but empowering young people to run their own business on a college campus makes life better. And so we really pivoted into our experiential learning platform and evolved our business into, you know, we went from being a really good Philadelphia coffee company to now being focused on a national education company. Like that's the essence of who we are as a business. And so now we're in a position where over the last year and a half, we've started to really scale our experiential learning platform. We've doubled its footprint and we have a tremendous opportunity to grow. So who are some of the different stakeholder groups that you have to communicate that to? And what's the angle that you have to take with each of them? I would say that there are sort of, you know, call it three main groups, if you will. Um, there's really four, but so one is, is inherently like, the Saxby's team, you know, the corporate Saxby's team. But then there are certainly our investors. There are our higher ed partners. And there are the students that are on campus running cafes. You have four different stakeholder groups. And so I mentioned this in my intro, but Saxby's is a certified B Corp. And what does that mean for people who don't know? Exactly. So we are, we are one of only 1,200 companies in all of the U.S., who have taken our ESG. So that's the term that seems to have bubbled up. It used to be triple bottom line. It used to be sustainable, impactful, all these different things. So ESG are environmental, social, and governance businesses. Mm. B Corp, it was a US created. It happens to be based in Philadelphia. And it is a third-party auditing system that audits every single thing that you do in your business along these ESG standards. And so if you think about our experiential learning platform, our core stakeholders are our community, which are the cafe level, university level teammates. There are the universities that are our partners. There's the Saxby's investors because they've invested money in Saxby's and want to see a return. And there's the Saxby's HQ team members that support it and are trying to build careers here. So that is the audience that we're working on trying to make happy, not just like balance these guys off with this. We want it to be a win-win, win-win. Like we want four parties to be able to win. And it's something that is foundational to us as a certified B Corp. And in talking to each of those four groups, how do you need to angle? What do they need to hear differently, distinctly from the other stakeholder groups to make them happy and successful? Yeah, that's the beauty of this is that it's like, we believe that there's one thing that we're all centrally focused on. If we are creating outcomes for the students who are running these businesses, we'll all win. You know, so if you think about this, why does a higher ed institution exist? Why does Temple University exist? It exists to educate people, to upskill them so that they can improve the lives of their family. And so they're in the business of seeing outcomes because if their students get outcomes and can go get jobs and do things that they love to do, they could donate money to the school. More people want to go to that school. They have a great affinity for the university. If you're a student, you're going to school to get a great experience to be able to upskill and go do what you want to be able to do. If you're Saxby's, like we're educators, you know, we have a, we're a team and a company of educators and impactors. And so, as I mentioned before, the greatest part of my job is making a difference in people's lives. And for my investors, yeah, certainly they want to know that people's lives are being impacted. But if we are impacting people's lives, more guests come to our cafes, more talent wants to work in our business. We drive more revenue. We manage our costs better and everyone wins financially as well. But the number one goal for us is impact young people's lives objectively and measurably. And this equation works for everybody. Now, okay. So I have a little question here because you're working with students 
And if I'm not mistaken, when COVID first hit, that demographic, the 18 to 22-year-old group, were the first ones to quit a lot of their work in the office jobs. And they're not necessarily the first ones to want to go back to working in a regular job. So especially when they're students, there's a lot of pressure on them to get good grades, lots of homework, et cetera. So what do you do? How do you message to them beyond come work at Saxby's? What is it that they're hearing that's different? Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of places that you could just go get an hourly job, whether it's on a college campus or otherwise. There's lots of places to be able to do that. And, and that's not necessarily desirable to a lot of young people. But if you have the opportunity to, A, support a business who has a mission to make life better and is a certified B Corp, so a company that is audited based on their business practices, that resonates with young people. B, you get to go and be a leader. You don't go and just sort of push buttons and be a robot and do what you're told to do. You and your peers get to make decisions in a live fire environment, make mistakes, have successes, continue to grow and get better and take ownership of something. That's a very different job than just signing up for something, swiping in, getting it done and can't wait to get out of your job. And so for us, we talk a lot, obviously, about the student learning outcomes and the assessments. And so we partner with our institutions of higher learning where every single job is remapped as if it's a course. So here's what you're going to learn. Here's how you're going to be assessed. And then here's how you get upskilled and get additional opportunities to grow. So it's a fun learning environment, not just a job I have to do to be able to make money. And that's why we really communicate and focus on that. And I think Part of the reason why we're such a desirable employer on college campuses is that we've really flipped the script of what a typical job or food and beverage job would look like. That's so interesting. And I think about how many years back in high school and college that I worked in restaurants and cafes and those kinds of things and how different it would have been to have something more meaningful be connected to it as opposed to just you know carrying out trays of food and, and those kinds of things that would have added a whole different layer worth of value to the experience. In connecting not just with the students, but who's the toughest audience that you ever had to get through to and why? One of our first partners, a very, very large, very prestigious university, you know, the sign, like the, the sort of support that we needed from a very high level academic leader, it was, was challenging for us to be able to get. And he and I were very different, not like morally or ethically, but like our level of education, the manner with which like our careers have developed are very, very different. He's a lifelong academic. And I'm, I'm more of a street sense kind of guy. I, I have my college degree, it would change my life, but I do things a little bit more from my gut. And he does things obviously from a researcher perspective. And so I, we're having a really hard time aligning on what we needed to get done from a crediting perspective. And so I consulted with a couple of our other academic partners who had since become friends who had experiential learning taxes on their campus. And, and I was like, can you educate me? Like, I, I don't know what I'm saying that's just not landing home. And they did. They educated me. and said, Nick, well, you got to understand, like, this person has a PhD in economics. You know, like, they look at things from a research lens, you know, and probably have never worked in a food and beverage job, like they have not had that same life experience. And so I think that the resistance was just not understanding what they were going to get out of it. And I think some concern, we've had conversations about this afterwards, like, will my students actually want to do this? Like, I don't know that they'll want to do it. And so I knew that we needed to find common ground, align, and get the Saxby's open operating on campus. And fast forward many years since, it's 
one of, if not the best academic partnership we've ever had. And, and we had interesting. We've had over a hundred, like the very first time we posted the job for the inaugural student CEO, we had over a hundred applications for that role. So it was a great sign the students wanted to do it and to see how prestigious this job is and this opportunity and leadership and entrepreneurial experience is on that campus has been great. I learned a lot from a communication perspective. And I would say our academic partner learned a lot as well that he took a big chance to bring this to his campus. And it's proven to be very beneficial for his students. That's terrific. That's terrific. And in in taking those risks and those new opportunities this is your opportunity here to challenge our listeners with the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge. This is your opportunity to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today, Nick? All right, Laura. So let, let's do this. So I think that you know, I think we have a huge communication problem within businesses, within organizations from human to human. You know, we, we live such digital lives now. We have so many Google Meets and Zoom calendars. We get so many emails, LinkedIn, all these different kinds of things that I think that like we have grown accustomed to being very slow at responding to people or just not responding at all. Mm. Like, I think we have this built-in card now, especially for those of us that have been like around a while. Like I've been doing this a long time. And so I'm like, oh, you know what? Like I'm the CEO of a business. I could take a long time to respond. People will just get it. I'm busy. Laura's busy. So-and-so is busy. I think it's incredibly disrespectful to do that. You know, and so one of the things that I committed myself to several years ago, and we've built foundational into our business is to be responsive. And so the, the challenge it aligns perfectly with the way that we teach that here at Saxby's is to respond to anything and everything within 24 hours. Not just, you know, because I think part of the challenge is like someone gets an email from their boss, they're going to respond to that really, really quickly. But what about the person that's two roles junior to where they are? They're inherently going to respond to that slower. And so the challenge that I have for people is to respond to everything within 24 hours mm. and not just people that are in your organizations, but the vendors that are trying to sell you something, the people that respond to you on LinkedIn. And this doesn't mean that you have to, in my encouragement, that you have to write long-winded emails back. In fact, I write so many emails every single day, typically on LinkedIn that are like, thank you so much. Use the person's name. People love hearing their name. The personalization of it matters, but I'm just not interested in that. I would say nine out of 10 people then respond to me being like, thank you so much for just responding to me. I feel like I've built up my influence by just being responsive to people. And you're going to get some meaty emails. You're going to get those emails that have 14 bullet points and I'm going to need answers on all these. I just ask that you respond to that saying, hey, Laura, I'm acknowledging your email. I'm going to put the right time to this and be responsive to it. But think to yourself right now, because I think about it to myself every day. How many things go unresponded to 24, 48 hours, seven days, two weeks later? Yes. It's disrespectful. And I think we've lowered our standard, our sort of human standard to one another. And I think our influence will go up when we're candid and authentic and responsive to people. I could not agree more. I appreciate the number of people who have seem to have accepted the dating world experience of ghosting people and just allowed that to become the standard of communication for any sort of relationship, personal, professional, or otherwise. I'll just not respond. I'll just disappear and let it go. So you have nothing else that having the respect to acknowledge them can be half a sentence saying, we'll get back to you Wednesday, or thanks, but not interested or something along those lines, just the acknowledgement. Closure, I think, is also important because people don't know how to interpret sounds. I had a boss many years ago who I heard state during a professional development meeting at one point, we were talking about email management, and she 
basically just outright said, I mostly ignore anything I don't consider immediately urgent. And every six months, I just empty my entire inbox because I figure if I haven't responded to it by then, it's not important. I thought, well, isn't that an interesting way of handling things? I, I suppose it's more efficient for you, but there's an awful lot of people out there who did have things that were important for them. Right. Imagine how little you feel if you were in that six month purge, you know, and like it would be hypocritical of me. Our mission statement is to make life better at Socrates. You know, I have college students that reach out to me all the time. Can we do an interview? Can your business do a case study with us? Yada, yada, yada. It'd be hypocritical of me if I didn't respond. And again, it doesn't mean that I say yes to every single thing. I'm right. oftentimes I have to write and be like, I'm traveling for the next three weeks. I'm not going to be able to meet your deadline. Can I connect you with another executive at Saxby's to be able to do it? And like, now like, the world is small. Like I, it's been amazing to me to watch people who were once college students. And then all of a sudden they're decision makers and organizations or someone asks them like, Oh, did you ever know of Saxby's? Did you go to like, at that point, that's, that's the proving time. They can either speak positively of you or negatively of you. And so I think that more people speak positively because we really try to practice because it is a 24 hour challenge. And if you can do it for 24 hours, I bet you can do it tomorrow too. And I bet you can do it next week and the week after and start to build good habits to those things. Yes. Yes. But for anybody out there who finds this intimidating, remember this is a 24 hour challenge. So one day, give it a shot. That's right. See where you go from there. Now, what's a communication-related mistake that you've made in the past? And if you could have a do-over, what would it sound like? So when Saxby's received a private equity investment several years back, and customary for the private equity group is they would hire like a psychology group that would come in and, and sort of run leadership tests on leadership teams within their portfolio. And it was just like a series of questions. They asked you to like read the question thoroughly and then answer right away. Like don't sit there and like pensively be like, Oh, it would sound better if it was this or that. Like, go through it. You know, and so I took that very to instinctive level responses to these. Okay. You know, and so I read it, boom, 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 went through. And there were some interesting questions. It was like 15 scenarios. You had to rank one to 15, what you feel better about, what you feel worse about. Things like watching someone get hit by a car, Ooh. seeing someone get mugged at gunpoint. Like, Goodness you had to feel gracious. better about one of those than the other. So, like, it was very interesting. And so I filled it out. And when I sat down with a psychologist, He's like, look, I have to be honest, like we had developed before. He's like, I have to be honest, I've been doing this a long time. I've never seen someone, and you get measured on it, it was 15 or 16 leadership traits mm -hmm. in their view. I scored a 0, 0.0 in empathy. Wow. Like literally, like they were rounding to the decimal point. Like I just scored a 0. <laughs> 0.0 and I did not react well. To it. Like this is a long time ago. I was even more immature than I am now, I guess. And like, I was very upset. I was like, I do a lot for other people. I'm on these boards and this and that. I was like very angry about it. I'm like, this was a waste of my time. I don't know why I did it. And then finally, like he calmed me down. I came to my senses and he explained to me, he's like, what you're describing, Nick, is compassion. Like, you're a compassionate person. You are not an empathetic person based mm. on this. And I went home to my wife and I was still ranting about it. And she was like, Nick, I've you know, known you a long time. Like this is a hundred percent true. And so I'm very disappointed at how I rashly reacted to something that was just literally putting a mirror in front of my face, you know? And so, you know, there, there's two things I want to dig into here. First, how did they distinguish between compassion and empathy? So they described it as compassion is to have feelings for someone's circumstance or situation. Okay. And empathy is to put yourself in their shoes and feel what they're feeling. Mm, interesting. You know, like it seems nuanced, but very, very different. You know, is it like 
I care about youth and education. I've been a big brother of Big Brothers Big Sisters for many years. I've been on the board for many, many years. Like I care about young people and leveraging education to change their lives. And so like I get involved and I really want to make a difference in that life. But I'm not so good at putting myself in the emotions and feelings uh, of another person. And that's where I like really break down from an empathy perspective. Interesting. Okay. Since then, you mentioned that that's become sort of a professional development focus for you over time. How has that changed for you? How do you develop something like that? Yeah. I mean, look, I I think that philosophically, Laura, for me, like, I'm not sure that I'm able to take like one of my tremendous weaknesses and make it a tremendous strength. But I have put a lot of intentionality and work behind making it less of a weakness for myself, you know? And so for me, I think that that has been like constantly looking for ways to get better and become more empathetic. But it's also surrounding myself with very empathetic people. My wife is an incredibly empathetic person. Most of my executive team are incredibly empathetic people. And so like we can have very candid, real conversations of where I need to be more empathetic. And in some instances where I'm probably helping other people along or being maybe a little too empathetic and needs to be able to move forward. But like your question was like, where did I react poorly or had a bad communication? I was so blind to my low empathy that I was just living my life as if I like had no weaknesses probably, you know? And so just Mm. knowing now that that is a natural weakness and limitation of mine has been like a thousand pound weight off my shoulders. And now I don't think that anyone would run around and be like, Nick Bayer is the most empathetic person I've ever met. But I don't think anyone would think I'm a 0.0 on a scale either, you know? Sure, sure. So I'm curious, for those out there who also know that empathy may not be one of their top three or top 10 or top anything skills necessarily, what's a step that they could take to develop greater empathy, whether they're going from zero to 2.6, or they're going from 50 to 60 or to whatever else it happens to be surrounding yourself with people who have strong empathy to help the balance and to sort of be a check, checks and balances of sorts is a great compensatory system. But how do you develop your own? Is that something that can be done? So this might sound simple, but what has worked for me is two things. One is to be a better listener and to take a deep breath. Interesting. Like, I, I kid you not, Laura, when someone would start to tell me something that was really bothering them, I feel like all my blood would start rushing to my head and I would just try to change the topic. You know, like that, that's just what I would do. And I, and I, I thought I was being successful in like getting their mind off of that because now we started to talk about this instead. But that was so selfish of me. Like I, it wasn't making it better for them. You know, so instead I now take a deep breath, which hopefully settles that blood back into my body a little bit more. And then I listen. Because oftentimes they just really need to get out what they want to say and know that you're being present and listening to them. So I feel like that in and of itself has made me a lot more empathetic. Like the breathing was important because again, I had this like visceral reaction where I just like wanted to be anywhere else and talk about anything else. And I thought I was helping people when I was actually hurting them more. And I was hurting myself. I was hurting myself because they were like, he doesn't want to listen to me. He doesn't want to hear what my issue is. And so the deep breath, and being a present listener through the totality of what someone wants to say has, has helped me immensely. That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. It is really 
it is often uncomfortable to listen to someone struggling, but to be able to acknowledge, going back to that acknowledgement and respect from your 24-hour challenge and putting that into the face-to-face conversations as well, to be present and acknowledge whatever someone's experiencing, not to commiserate, not to pity, not to let them ramble and rant and be self-destructive or anything else along those lines, but at least to acknowledge there's, there's so much gray in between. I think that's those are two really great tips. Thank you for sharing them. Thank you. Now, What's an approach that you've used to address an accountability issue with someone on your team? And I would assume that this is something that has to come up regularly because you're working with hundreds of student CEOs, 20, 22 years old, something along those lines, very young, probably first leadership experience ever. So they've never run a business, especially a a million dollar business at that point. So accountability, I would imagine, comes up rather frequently. So what's an approach that you use when you're working with them? Yeah, so I think that you know our greatest saving grace as a business is that we are a very cultural organization. We have our mission statement to make life better. We have six core values that are very simple and very to the point, but also very prevalent throughout every level of this organization. And I think that the best way I could answer this question, Laura, is one of our core values is care personally and communicate openly. You know, it was not one of our original core values. We created our core values, I don't know, 15 years ago. Like it was not one of our original core values, but I knew something, especially on the heels of the question you just asked me, that led to my like challenge with empathy. I knew one of the things that was really starting to bother me as Saxons was starting to grow was we didn't have sort of the infrastructure and the framework to be able to have real honest conversations with one another which is like the environment that I work really well in. And for better or for worse, I'm the CEO of this business. And so like, it doesn't mean that everything has to revolve around me, but it was to a point where I felt like I couldn't be myself. And there were things that were like hampering us as a business that I knew could be fixed. And that's when we had a whole team of people and that core value came about. It was a time where like radical candor was a big thing, but I didn't want it to be radical candor. I think one of the weaknesses of radical candor is like, you can be a jerk to people. Mm. You can say whatever you want. Because like, oh, it's radical candor. I don't believe in that. Like our mission is to make life better. Like care personally, care personally about yourself and your reputation and care personally about how other people are in your organization. Another of our six core values is serve yourself by serving others. You'll do well for yourself by doing well for other people. And so care personally, communicate openly was a big breakthrough for us as a business. So much so that we interview everyone and walk them through our core values before they're even hired. You know, it's in our job description, it lists out what the core values are. And we want to make sure people really get it, particularly that one, you know, is that like, not a lot of people like getting feedback, but we feel like that's one of our secret strengths and tactics that we do do that. So how do you leverage that when you have a student CEO who is later or sloppy on detail or whatever their particular standard is that they're not meeting? How do you approach that with them? Well, even sooner than that, you know, because I think that like once they're sort of mid game and if you're you know, communicating openly with them when they're in the middle of the game, you could really sort of rock their boat. I've now interviewed every single student CEO that's ever been a finalist. We've now had over 100 student CEOs. We've had 300 finalists. And so one of the things that I typically will do on an interview is I find some way to flex the muscles of care personally and communicate openly. You know, it's like my, my interview style is I like to get to know the person. I want to know their family. I want to know why they chose the university that they're at. Like, what are they like? What are they not like? I really try to like get to know them but then 99% of the time, I can find a mistake in their resume. And so I will usually point that out and say, hey, Laura, did you notice that you misspelled the word there twice in your resume? And it gives us an opportunity to have a real conversation. You know, like I get it. Like they're interviewing with a CEO, 
Not that they need to be nervous interviewing with Nick Bayer in particular, but it's a CEO. And so they're already nervous. I can tell a lot about how we're going to be able to give this person feedback based on how they react. Because I think that like once you start correcting someone in the middle of the game, it's really, really hard to do it. So we try to make practice harder than the game. The interview is part of the practice. And hearing the students, you know, a CEO of a business sort of point out a mistake that you made, we can tell early on what someone's strengths or weaknesses are to that. And and again, it's also secondly for us, that's been very helpful because our student CEOs, like they're all afraid of their profit and loss statements. So we, we have three pillars that we call it Saxby's team development, community leadership, and financial management. We think that if you can master those three pillars, you can be successful at anything you do in your career agnostic of industry. And we always ask them, what's going to be the hardest? They all say profit and loss, like financial management. They're like, Nick, I am so afraid of a profit and loss statement. You and I both know, if I can understand a profit and loss statement, anyone can understand a profit and loss statement. But the hardest part of being a leader is team development. How do you manage people? How do you develop people? And so by being able to care personally, communicate openly and being such a core value, culture-driven organization, it makes it so much easier for our young people to do the thing that they are all truly afraid of, which is giving critical feedback. And I love to watch them grow and be great at that on the other side. I think that's such an important skill and cultural practice. It's one thing to state that you've got the value, but it's another to demonstrate it and utilize it from the very interview before you even part of the organization until all the way up through the completion of your tenure where they are the CEO in such a short period of time. That's that's incredible. And, and um, Laura, sorry, I'd be please. miss if I didn't plug this success because I'm so proud of our team that you know we have an amazing alumni network. You know, we've been doing this for almost six years now. It, you know the very beginning days of our experiential learning platform, over 100 student CEOs. The, according to the Harvard Business Review, it takes the average college graduate about seven years to get to a, a position where they're leading a team. Our student CEOs, on average, are in a leadership position 2.2 years after graduation. That's amazing. So we're seeing a tremendous impact because, again, everyone seemingly wants to be a leader. But you have to not just do the fun things like, oh, that person's the leader of the group. You have to do all of the dirty work stuff, like correct people when they show up late or when people don't get along. Like you have to do all those other things. We're preparing people to be great leaders. And I'm super proud of the outcomes that we're seeing. That's incredible. I mean, that's you know, almost, what, three times faster than or a third the time, or you can tell me what the right mathematical proportion is. But, both uh, parts of that math were right, yeah. Both were right. Okay, yeah. yay, yeah. I got one right. That's that's terrific, because math's not my strength. <laughs> but uh, And I'm right there with you on the P&L sheet. You know, if I can find it, if I can figure it out, anybody can figure that one out. And I find that a lot of people go into, on try to start their own business because they want to do what they love and they don't want to do it for somebody else. But they don't realize that by starting your own business, you have to do, as you put it, all the dirty work, all the other stuff behind it. You may spend 10% of your day actually doing the stuff that you went into business to do and the rest of it is building and running the business. So that's a little rude awakening that I think a lot of people have along the way. Completely. Now, Nick, this has been a fabulous conversation. I wish we could continue it. Maybe we'll have to do a part two one of these days, but thank you so much for joining us on the show today. How can people learn more about you and Saxby's? Well, thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. I, I love your questions and uh, and all the wisdom that you're imparting out there in the world. So uh, you can follow me. I'm big. I, I said on LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn. So Nick Bayer, Instagram is it's Nick Bayer and Twitter is just Nick Bayer. And of course, we'll put all of those on our show notes as well. And for Saxby's? HelloSaxby's.com. And obviously hit us up on LinkedIn at Saxby's as well. 
Awesome. Awesome. It's been a great opportunity to talk to you today. And thank you, everybody else out there for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, your favorite platforms, and more so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.